Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Christopher Sinclair, and I am joined by my fellow host, Drew Garrison. Just playing. What is up, y'all? We are a couple of self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience dating all the way back to the days of washing dishes and cleaning pizza ovens, all the way to owning multiple businesses and selling some of the most exclusive brands in the world. Our goal is to walk you through today's most interesting alcohol industry headlines while sipping amazing spirits as we do it, and, you know, hopefully making you laugh a little bit as we do it. Drew, what are we covering today, buddy? Chris, this episode is more exciting than a Gavin Newsom dinner. It's going to be great. We have, of course, our spirits are already sipping on, our dope follows, and a liquor commission that actually helps people, which is weird. That's And an update on our favorite wine. What would be the what would be the word for him? Wine. I I had it in my head and I totally lost it. Fraudulenter. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know the word. I'm going to call him a liar. We're going to call him our favorite wine liar. We're going to do some updates on Rudy uh, Kearney Awan. um, Wow, you you butchered that, man. I did. And I've been looking at it. Rudy Kearney Awan. He's not a good person. So I'm feeling Ah, pretty pretty okay with that. But first. I I missed my cue. Chris, what are you drinking? (laughs) Hey, take a week off and there you go. Hey, man, I am uh, I am drinking some Cane Concept for 2012 Vintage. It is that time of the year and Daddy needs his Napa cabs. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're right, just Daddy. all over the place. Also, we didn't take a week off. Did we? I don't know. I don't yeah, think we, we did. did. We just were a day late because you were doing something last night. I don't know. That's right. A, a, a day late and a PPP loan short. Oh, I just I just named our our episode for us. That's pretty good. That is um, that is good. So tell us <laughs> tell us more about this daddy wine. <laughs> I uh, I uh, here here to fourth am calling myself daddy through the rest of this episode. Um, um, King concept coming from Napa Valley. It's not technically a Napa cab because it is 73% Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, uh, in the U.S., it has to be at least 75% of a single of, of a varietal in order to claim it a single varietal, whereas like in France, it has it actually has to be 100%. Uh, but this um, this 2012 coming from the Benchland um, is is 16 16- uh, 73% Cab Sauv, 16% Merlot, 7% Petit Verdot, and 4% Cab Franc. And I am a Cab Franc slut. Um, it's <laughs> it's one of those grapes that just like, it always, unless it's like the, the predominant grape, it's usually used as a backbone just because it's like high acid. It, it lends itself to great aging and longevity in wines. Um, it's It's got this great like green spice to it that just comes out and uh i love it um but it's it's the time of year you know i i i don't tend to drink napa cabs all year round but um 
specifically in what we'll say is the holiday season, you know, November, December, uh, and usually a little bit as I have lingering tastes through January. Um, I, that's when I tend to drink my Napa cabs. Cause I just, I love those big, bold, meaty ass, spicy wines that just cut through everything else that you're eating, <laughs> whether or not the food's good or not. And, and you just know that the wine's going to overpower everything and it's lovely. <laughs> So is it? Uh, it's, so it's partly the food that you're eating. Is it? Is it at all weather dependent for you when you're drinking something like this? Because that's how I sometimes get with my wine drinking. It's very yeah, weather dependent. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I mean, it's you know, as the as the weather starts to turn a little bit colder, and you want you just want that like nice little hug, uh, especially from wines. It, it reminds me a lot of of uh, family and family time drinking drinking big big wines like this. What I like about this this bottle, though, um, is at Good Bottle, I brought this in as a split. So it's a 375. It's not a full 750, mm. um, which makes it easy, A, for me to drink a bottle of this on the show. So that way I don't get too rambly. Uh, <laughs> also, if um, you know someone is not a huge wine drinker but wants a delicious wine that is approachable, you know, a small bottle like this is easy uh, easy going, but I did decant this bottle, uh, as you saw in the photo I sent you, and I decided to name my decanter this evening Drew's Belly. I'm so definitely. I, I, I have decanted this in Drew's Belly. <laughs> I, I, with, without question, now at some point in in our future, I'm gonna buy you a decanter with that engraved on it. Oh, that's incredible! Like it's kind. I don't. I'm. I don't know when. <laughs> but it, like as soon as I got that picture, I was like, "Yep, that's that's when I'm getting them." I don't know when, but it's happening. Um, I I love when when wines come in those three seven fives, especially ones that you may not be as familiar with. And so, for for the sake of this conversation, uh, what is a typical seven fifty of that bottle usually cost? About a hundred bucks. Okay, so. Perfect, perfect example of something that that you know maybe I do want to have something nice, but I I can't justify pulling the trigger on on that. I, it totally makes sense to me to do the three seven fives. I had uh, one of my accounts a few weeks ago give me a few three seven fives, and I and I had no idea what he had given me. He was just like, "These are really good. Um, they were for my anniversary," and I was like, "This is this is great." And we've had two of them so far, and they've both been incredible. But it, it's just kind of I, I love that when companies can do stuff like this to make, even though you know obviously you're getting half of what of what you'd be getting out of that full bottle, but it somehow feels like you're getting a better deal. You know, like you're just kind of like you're like okay, like I can't justify a hundred. But for half, I can justify fifty, even though it works out the same way. You know what I mean? But like, it, well, sure. I mean, we have we, you know, we encounter the same thing with uh, with small small bottles, half bottles of like mezcal, right? It just makes them yeah. more approachable. And um, yeah, you know, we do the same thing with uh, with with half bottles of whiskey with three seven fives. You know, um, uh, I I was sell I am selling uh, you know a three seven five twenty one year old Japanese whiskey, you know. And, and this is an independent bottling at the shop and, and it's $180 for a 375. Is it the boutique? It's the boutique. Yeah. It, yeah. It's spectacular fucking whiskey. 
But right. if it was a 750, you know, that would be a, a, a $360, $400 bottle of whiskey, uh, which some people are less willing to pull the trigger on, you know, if they don't, you know, if they don't know. But 180 bucks, 21 year old Japanese whiskey uh, coming from a reputable um, uh, independent bottler. That's that's not so bad. You know, that's 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 a great gift. That's something that you, someone can enjoy by themselves or with their family. Have it be something special that they're not like just sitting on or even worse that, you know, they spend four hundred dollars on and then they're too afraid to open it. And and they just wait for that perfect moment to open that bottle and then they never drink it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the it's it's cool to see more and more higher end stuff come in smaller format bottles because. Obviously, I think for a long time, most of what you were going to be able to get was was going to be kind of like your run of the mill stuff, like things that were supposed to be cheap, you know, that were already affordable. And now they're just super cheap because they're in smaller quantities. But, you know, it in reference to to your mention of, of like mezcal and stuff like, yeah, it just makes it it makes the whole category a lot more approachable, you know, and being able to roll the dice and, you know, we don't have it up in the 400 you know, dollar range yet. Thank God. Well, I mean, I guess there are, there are a couple out there, but there are a few. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but for the most part, being able to get these, these bottle prices down pretty low and kind of be like, Hey, you know, here's, here's something. Yeah. That is smaller, but it's quality. You know, it's like right. you got yourself a little hit flask, but it's like good shit. It's not, not something awful or that is even the bigger version is only 20 bucks. You know what I mean? So. Right. And, you know, and you can you can put a little swag in your step knowing that you're sipping on some some delicious good good as opposed <laughs> to like some some fucking stank ass, you know, booty juice. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what, what are you drinking there? Well, I, I'm I'm kind of in the same vein as as you with the with the turning of the season. And then today I actually spent most of the day up in up in Truckee in Tahoe City. We actually, I actually spent some time with former Good Bottle guest um, Brian Nelson as well. Ooh. And um, and you know, as I was leaving and coming back down the hill, I actually hit the storm that's currently ravaging the uh, Truckee right now, and it was uh, white knuckle driving all the way down the hill because uh, at you know 35, 40 miles an hour because the, the snow was coming down pretty pretty thick. But that essentially put me right into the mode of oh it's winter time it's cold i need to be sipping on some yayer spirits glog and oh, cool i love this stuff so much um yayer spirits is something that you know i i have had on the show previously and we have talked very fondly about the fernet uh that they do and how we have depleted bottles just between the two of us at, at various bars. Yep. And what the glog is, is where really Yayer Spirit started. And it was a recipe that was handed down to Martin actually from his either, I think it was his great grandmother. It was her recipe. And, and glog is, is a traditional like holiday winter drink. Um, it's very, very similar to mold wine. And the difference here was for um, for great grandma, she was actually distilling it once and then adding the mixture kind of back into it. 
So what you ended up getting was just a higher ABV. And so Martin's from from Sweden and he came over to the States, I think in the early 90s. And um, every holiday season, he would make this this spirit or this liqueur. And of course, you know, it's like one of those situations where it's like, oh, this is so good. You need to you need to sell it. You need to market it and stuff like that. And um, so he, he started it. And of course, he ran into some resistance with it. You know, most when people don't know what the hell it is to begin with, it's uh, it's kind of hard to sell. But it's just this really fun liqueur that has like spicy notes from cardamom, cinnamon, cloves. And there's also like this, you know, kind of raisins and almonds. And then, of course, he, he always has a, like citrus notes to it. So those come from these like several orange peels that he uses in all of his um and all of his different liqueurs and then as well as uh cane sugar and then there's a couple other things in there that's you know the uh the the family secret but it's one of those things that you can just you can you know put it into like a little sherry glass um you can heat it up if you want and drink it just as is or you can use it in cocktails and i personally prefer to do just the sipping it neat because it just everything about it invokes winter time and holidays and i mean again like coming back to that cardamom and cinnamon spice cloves like all this different stuff like it just it's very very holiday-ish for me and um i just love this brand so much and uh i i don't drink the glog very often outside of the holiday season which i know drives martin nuts so i apologize to him if he ever listens to this but um, i mean to say i'm in the same boat as you so sorry yeah. martin <laughs> but i drink all the other things year round so yeah, you know yeah. i'm i'm not i'm not anti it i just you know i just this is this has become like when i started with jbs this was one of the first bottles that i got one of the first people i got to spend time with and i have just been a huge fan ever since so uh, but yeah, yeah they're I, just I, I really like great. that. I like that glug on the on, on ice or in a like a hot toddy, like mm, with a yeah. with like a little honey just to like just to like thicken it up so it's not thin with the hot water. But it just right. it just opens totally. up so much. Yeah, it's just it's super fun and it's got really great packaging as well. And um, it's just one of those things that it's just it's so easy. You know, you're just kind of like, yep, yep, we're good to go. Uh, you know, you kind of feel like you're a Viking or something like that as you're as you're sipping on it so so yeah so that's what i'm i'm sipping on is the yayer spirits glog uh liqueur and of course we'll have a picture of it up so you guys can see it and, and eventually pick it up and you know before we move on to our top stories and, and things like that chris you posted about um loaves and fishes today and loaves and fishes for people who are not who are outside of the sacramento area is a organization that helps with um, getting people who are homeless fed and taken care of and, and things like that. And, you know, this has obviously been a really tough year and challenging year for a lot of people. And historically, this organization has been able to feed um, an unbelievable amount of people around Thanksgiving. And I don't quite remember the numbers. You're going to have to refresh our memories on yeah, those. Yeah, they, they usually um, – they usually – cook about 900 to a thousand uh turkeys per year and it's not just it's not just homeless population it's it's you know folks who are down on their luck who just you know want to be surrounded by community um uh, loves and fishes does a does a great job with that um but obviously with this year like you were mentioning uh everybody's sort of down on their luck 
And with that, they've they've hit this all time low of turkeys. They they're nowhere near what what they need, and they're expecting to to need an abundance. They they need more than what they typically uh, cook in order to meet what they're expected demand on this year. Um, so we wanted to put the word out. Uh, I you know I I shared it on my on my social media, but uh, Drew and I wanted to put the word out and 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 let people know that uh, if they if they were up to it if they had the means uh, to to support the community uh loaves and fishes is looking looking for turkeys uh you can either drop off a turkey if you happen to go and buy one and 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 feel the need to just drop one off you can go to 1351 north c street here in sacramento uh you can also uh uh deliver or mail a check uh, to to loaves and fishes, and if you write turkey in the memo line, it will go directly to buying turkeys. Um, and you can mail that to PO Box thirteen four nine five, Sacramento, California nine five eight one three. Or we have a, a very good friend who has been doing an amazing job, also just uh, spreading the word and collecting. Um, collecting donations from industry people. And I, I think this is something that, you know, Drew and I both have some amazing experience with in terms of the, the, the food and booze industry, you know, the hospitality industry that, you know, we don't make a lot of money, but we're always willing to give. And I think that that says a lot about the people who work within the industry. Um, but uh, one of our very good friends, is, she wants to remain nameless, but if, uh, her cash app is dollar sign 66 capital MC butterfly. I will tell you that that capital MC stands for Mariah Carey, just so you guys know. So $66 Mariah Carey butterfly. If that makes it easy to uh, remember uh, so far within, within the last 24 hours, uh, she's raised $755 at the time of, of this recording, which is pretty fantastic. And for a community that's already down on their luck, their ability and willingness to share, I think, I think just speaks volumes. And I think that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I know in reading your post earlier, I immediately reached out to Caitlin and was like, Hey, let's, let's do something that's, you know, either donate some turkeys or try to raise some money as well. It's cool. It's cool that somebody is already taking that initiative. So, um, you know, we can just contribute to that. And, and I did look into it. I was like, I was like, how much does a turkey cost? Like I had no idea. I know, I know me neither. It's really embarrassing. I was like, I was just like, it's like, oh, I've never been the man of the house. So, um, <laughs> I've never had to buy a turkey. Uh, but they're like 20 bucks and that's like uh, on the higher end. So I was like, I was like, okay, like uh, I can, that's swing, not true. I can, that's I'm not looking true. at it right now. It says butter, like these butter ball and look, I Googled yeah. it. Yeah, that's not true. I I know my wife spends a lot more than twenty dollars on a well, turkey. Well, I'm sure you can. Um, but like I'm looking at the Butterball Premium All Natural Frozen Young Turkey, sixteen to twenty pounds from Target is nineteen eighty max price. I, wow, that's fantastic. Get them while you can, guys. That's, so that's amazing. I'm I'm sure there are ways to spend more on turkey. I'm I'm pretty positive of that because this is the world that we live in. However, in this scenario, stretch your dollar, 
get some 20 pounders. You're going to pay 1980 and, and go from there. I mean, again, yeah, and that, I'm, I'm actually going to try to help her out and see if we can go, go to, um, uh, restaurant Depot and see if we can get a better deal. Yeah. Um, because, because restaurant, um, uh, wholesalers, um, that you need to, you know, you need to sign up and be a member of, which, you know, I am for multiple reasons, um, <laughs> uh, that we, so, so I'm going to see if we get, you know, maybe, maybe they can't out purchase target and Walmart and, and Costco and whatnot, but you know, it doesn't hurt to check, but you know, yeah, you I, and I, you and I had a, a pretty great experience with people just willing to give, um, during, during the, the fires, uh, in Northern California, what, like two years ago. Yeah. Uh, when, when paradise was just ravaged. Yeah. And, and I think that's, um, you know, the, I, I just think these opportunities present themselves and we've been fortunate over the years that we've been able to step in and help out where we can. And it's manifested itself in a lot of different ways. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think I just reading your message earlier and, and, selfishly i thought of you know my daughter not being able to not that she appreciates it yet but eventually she will you know but not being able to have a meal like this you know or just i don't know it just it really broke me up so um so yeah so you guys so so check that out again it's it's loaves and fishes um here in sacramento there's there's also all kinds of other things that you can that you can uh donate or um or bring in and and if you don't have the funds you can donate time and if that's, that's something right. that you that you feel comfortable doing right now, because obviously there's the risk involved with coronavirus, but um, but if you if you want to do that, you can donate your time. And there's and this is this is one of many. I mean, if this is uh, if you're listening in one of the multiple countries that we're being listened to in, by the way, um, you know, just look around, see if see if there's somebody that's closer to you, or you know, get on it. I mean, there's. There, it's it's been a rough year, but just imagine like what your situation is. There's it could always be worse, and some for for some people, if we can give them a little bit of, you know, uh, like a good meal. Let's let's try to help out as much as we can. So so again, check that them out. A, that was a nice flex that you uh, just threw in there. I um, I appreciate that. It made me feel good. I don't know if anybody else caught it. I'm sure somebody caught it, but I you know that that made me feel good that we are we're an international podcast now. So and, uh, <laughs> I think it's just time to own it. You know. Well, and, we're getting uh, into the we're getting we into the charity game. So that's when you know you're big time is Woo! when you start supporting charity. <laughs> that's right. We get that podcast bump, baby. Oh man. Good Lord. But yeah, so you guys seriously uh, check that out, whether it's whether it's donating food um, or your time, you know, and if you can't, man, like you, you can't, you know, don't don't beat yourself up too much. It's just it's just uh, something cool to do at this time. Um, but now it's time for our opinions on facts from reputable sources. it he did finally good lord um so the new hampshire liquor commission has has been very busy 
over over the past year. And the things that they've been doing is actually awesome. Typically, when we talk liquor commissions, we're talking the ABC and stuff like that. It's usually not fun stories. This is finally the opposite of that. The New, the New Hampshire Liquor Commission has raised over half a million dollars for various nonprofits uh, around their community. And these charities... Um, include like just different programs, whether it be for animals or people with learning disabilities. And it just, the list goes on and on. And the way that they're doing this is they are having auctions on rare and hard to find bourbons, whiskeys, and other spirits. Um, Some at times fetching over $120,000 for individual auctions and they sell tickets to them. Everybody has an opportunity to win. And they're just raising a crazy amount of money. Um, Chris, you found this story and we're very, very excited about it. What was, I mean, what are, what were some of the highlights for you as you were going through it? Okay. So uh, um, this this story came to us by, um, by way of the, the New York post, which I will almost never read, but this, this popped out at me um, and was pretty fucking cool. I think that that this let me back up Um, uh, one of the reasons is Drew and I often will rag on, um, you know, the Pappy Van Winkles, the Blantons, you know, these these really hard to find, uh, you know, you know, Buffalo Trace OFCs, the the 23 year reserve uh, Pappies, you know, shit like that, uh, that people will just lose their fucking minds over. I think that that having a liquor a liquor commission in a control state like like New Hampshire is um, usually annoying, right? Because these the, this commission controls literally what what booze is allowed to enter the state. But they've taken this and they sold these tickets for a hundred dollars a piece. So they and they sold two thousand of them, which means that they raised like two hundred thousand dollars. Um, just, just for, um, one of them, which is buddy up, uh, which is, uh, proceeds go to benefiting best buddies, uh, New Hampshire, which provides those with intellectual and developmental disabilities, the opportunity to take part in social activities, which is fucking rad. Um, and there, you know, everybody has the same option and same ability to get anything. It's not like you, you win the ability to then buy this bottle. It's your hundred dollar raffle ticket buys you the chance to win it. That's it. Point blank. If you buy more than one, good for you. Fucking fantastic. Um, but you know, some of these bottles on secondary market go for like $1,500, $2,000, $5,000 for like 23 year old, uh, Pappy. So that's not only is that like a really good deal, but like, this is fucking cool, man. Like this, this liquor commission held all this stuff back. They were able to leverage what they what they buy for the state to get all these bottles, and then uh, and then not auction them off, but you know, but like raffle them. That, by the way, I should note would be something that's totally illegal here in California, but because it's the state doing it in New Hampshire, good on them. Um, I I've heard of people in California and other control states doing. Uh, or other states doing interesting things with their with their allocated bottles um, that have kind of turned me on and been been fun to think about over the years, but this is probably the most interesting to me. I mean, this is this is just fucking cool, man. Like way way to way to think outside the box 
in a time, like we said, um, that people are needy. Everybody's needy at this point in time. And uh, for those who want it, for those who are able to, you know, put that money to something that's a win-win, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, it's funny when when we were briefly talking about the loaves and fishes uh, earlier today and how we wanted to kind of promote a little bit. Like I was thinking on my job, I was like, okay, what else can we do? And I, I literally went to like whiskey auction. Like, could I sell a couple bottles? Cause we do some bidding. Like what would, what do I have in my collection that could get people excited? You know? Um, and again, you know, of course we do run into problems here in California and in terms of doing everything, everything legally, does not matter like what the, uh, what the stuff is? Um, especially in such a short turnaround time with Thanksgiving being next week. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, again, I, I think in light of all the recent news and stuff like that, and in California entering back into you know, like the, the purple zone, I was, I was kind of dreading this episode because I was like, I was like, God, man, are we gonna have another one of just like sad news and just <laughs> like you totally bummer situation? And it's not the case. Like you know, it came out came out the gate swinging, and I love seeing stuff like this, and 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 I and I have participated in things like this before. Um, and it's just, it is, it's a great way to do it, uh, to raise money and to take those, those whiskeys that, yeah, as you said, both of us feel are completely ridiculous and overrated, but let's leverage it for, for the greater good. So, um, yeah, good, uh, good know, on it, you, New Hampshire you know, way to go guys. To be fair, it wasn't just like the, you know, the, the tater whiskeys, um, in, in the raffle that they did for ally, allies for animals, which raised uh, more than $120,000. It included both Sazerac rye, okay, but then also a 33-year-old bottle of Krigeliki scotch, yeah. which is fucking cool. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't just the Pappies and the Blantons and whatnot. It was like, it was also some, uh, some other whiskeys that uh, I think nerds, nerds would also appreciate, but are also hard to find. I mean, 33-year-old scotch ain't, ain't anything to scoff at right like that's that's some legit stuff so i think it's fucking cool man i I, i'm all about this same same (laughs) okay chris i'm gonna say his first name you're gonna say his last name rudy kniyawan is up to his old tricks um as as we briefly mentioned Rudy was involved in one of probably the most infamous wine forgery uh, situations in That's American the word. history. For, forgery, yeah, but there's—I feel like there's something else, and um, you know, to the point where there was this really great documentary made about it, which I believe we've actually referenced like very recently. We did um, actually. I believe it was just last week. Yeah, or, it, or the week before. Did we skip? It all bl- I don't know it, anymore. It, it all blends together. Time, time matters not. Yeah, and so that again, that documentary is called Sour Grapes, and it talks all about how um, Rudy was able to take like moderately old French wine, and or not even moderately old, but it was like French wine, blend it with California wine, and then put it into highly sought after. Um, French collectible bottles. And so he would show up to like all these millionaires houses and stuff and he would pop all these bottles and then, you know, started selling auction, you know, selling them at auctions and stuff at times, you know, netting himself millions and millions of dollars before he was finally found out 
because he tried to sell a collection of uh, French wines, and the and and really what what ended up doing him in was just like he just didn't do his research enough, and it was yeah. a yeah. it was a vineyard that he put on the bottle that was like a vintage from like 1971 to 74 or something like that. And the son of that winemaker came out and said, we didn't own that vineyard at the time. So this is, this product is, does not exist. Like this is completely fabricated. And um, that then of course led to a raid on his, raid on his apartment and, and things like that. And they found this whole operation of being able to perfectly mimic French collectible wines and um, had been duping people for millions and millions of dollars. Well, he ended up doing nine years in prison for this, which ended up being the most severe and only um, case of uh, like imprisonment when it came to wine forgery and upon being released and in the u.s upon being released and then being sent back to what was it indonesia i believe upon upon being released last week last Last week week. last week the ninth yeah by the way so you guys are we gonna have like 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 rudy kneo on uh freedom day is that is that gonna be a thing that we all drink to or uh i hope not drink about I hope not. He seems like a really bad person. Well, anyways, um, so he was going to be deported back to Indonesia and it's been delayed because he's complaining about the travel arrangements and he wants to fly first class. Yeah. Yeah. That back to up. Indonesia. And so, of course, this was a, this was brought up to the lead prosecutor on his case. And his only response was, well, it seems like Rudy hasn't changed a bit. So, um, I mean – I mean, I don't, I'm not sure where I want this conversation to go at this point, but maybe, maybe I have this question for you, Chris, what, what would you do to have that level of confidence in your life? Oh, oh my God. A lot of things <laughs> I would, I would, uh, I would sacrifice a goat. I would, uh, spend a year drinking nothing but fireball. Um, I would, I don't know. I don't know what, like, what could I do? I don't, I don't have those, uh, I don't even know how low I could go to raise that high. That would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead. No, I mean, I just, I, I think it's just, this the, the cojones on this guy to be like, okay, I just got out of prison and now you're going to find me first class back to Indonesia. And, you know, and and the reason this is, this is relevant to you know our industry today is that you know so many people are are buying alcohol up like like there is no tomorrow you know a lot of that a lot of that money has been flowing into the off premise and people are buying more and more expensive stuff i mean you're starting to see whiskey and wine and different spirits as more as an investment on a lot of different things and you know but you have to remember that there are these guys that are out there who are taking advantage of people and you know and, and i think i even brought it up on when we talked about the, the documentary the last time i mean even at the end of the documentary there was one guy who had spent millions of dollars on rudy's um wines who was still convinced that not all of them were fake you know oh and yeah to the he, point he he had bought in he had bought in hook line and sinker he was yeah he was spiritually involved and, yeah uh, and sold on it yeah and he he pours something for a sommelier 
and the guy just immediately goes, "That's that's not it. That stuff is garbage," <laughs> and just yeah. and just like devastates this guy, and um, you know, and it's it's just it's crazy to think that someone can get away with that, but it, it continues to happen. I mean, I know I see it unfold on Facebook a lot, where people are like, "Oh, don't deal with this person because they don't send the bottles, or they don't do this, or they don't do that," and then um, some of the more expensive bottles that I've dealt with, um, I've started to learn about fill lines and, and codes and stuff like that, that you have That's to look right. for to, to, to yep. verify authenticity. And it's like, and both of us are of the mindset where when we get something like I'm, I'm really bad about it. It's either like, I'm going to drink it or I'm, or I'm going to give it to somebody. Like, it's just, there, mm-hmm. there's not like, I, I don't have that collector mentality with a few things you know, making that exception, but eventually I will, I will give them up. Like just the other day, I I had a bottle for like three years and I don't know what I was saving it for, but my dad's friend was over. He's like, Hey, I really like high West. And I was like, dude, I've had this bottle for three years. It's a cast pick of this and this He's like, take it. I don't even want it anymore. You know? And I'm just really bad about that kind of stuff where I just go through these purges where I'm either, Oh, or we're going to pop it open and we're going to drink all of it right now. You know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, as, as we see more and more people get into the collecting and, you know, and obviously one of our favorite subjects is auctions and, and things like that. It's like, these guys exist and you have to be aware and you have to educate yourself on that. I mean, I mean, again, for him to, for his fall from grace, just to be someone being like, oh, we didn't own that vineyard then. I mean, that's just, man. that. I mean, that's just, that's just being. I don't know, greedy, but it, it's just like, uh, you know, over overreaching, right? Like to get slipped up on something so tiny, you know, but you've just, you, you've pumped yourself up so far. Well, yeah, I, he, you know, and on top of this, like he is reputed to still have this outstanding palate and that's, that's why he was able to do that. Now, give or take, you know, whether or not that's true. I've talked to people who've, who've actually served him and, and, been i guess quote unquote i've got air quotes going now lucky enough to consume some of his uh his forgeries uh yeah they were they were waiters they were bartenders and they were poured some and and they full-on said to me like some of those were just awful like they, they were just bad wine like they were they were not good um but the this story ends with with the the realization that that Rudy could go back to Indonesia and just based on his name and being this, the one and only uh, prosecuted forger in this realm, he could start his own wine label up just because he's, he's notorious. He could go from being caught and put in prison for doing this to just, saying that he's doing this, that he's blending wines to create this and people would buy it. Would I have to ask you, honestly, would you buy a bottle of that? Let's say, let's say it was $120 for a, a bottle that you knew was, was blended to replicate a, you know, a 1965 Romani Conti or something uh, something from the Bordeaux region, you know, a Grand Cru. Would would that be something that would pique your interest just just to experience it? Not me, no. 
because that's just not my realm of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're, I mean, uh, it's it's not necessarily the price point. It's mostly just like the interest in it. Like, I just don't care. Like, I'm like, sure. I'm like, okay, like, cool. I guess that's what it tastes like. Now, if you were, if you were talking maybe a rum or something like that, you know, I, you, you're going to have a much better shot with me. But, and, and again, that just comes down to, you know, to the interest in it. And I think it also just, it highlights one of the things that I try to emphasize to people in tastings as much as possible, where it's like, if you taste something or you taste something that's an offer on, like, you know, say it, put, throw it out there. And I think probably more often than not, when it came to this guy was people were afraid to share whether or not they liked it or not, because he was the perceived expert. Right. Yeah. And if definitely. this, if this, if this guy's telling you that this stuff is really good and fun and it's really expensive and exclusive. Like you're not going to sit there and tell this guy as th- the way that you view him, like, Oh no, you're wrong. This is, this is garbage. However, when you find out that he was full of shit and you try those things again, and then suddenly you get all cocky, you're like, Oh yeah, this stuff sucks. You know, you're kind of <laughs> like, well, it's because that, that source is no longer as legitimate. And and the thing that I always bring up to people, it's like, you know, you don't want to have that note, that you're thinking in your head, but you don't have the confidence to share. And then somebody else shares that exact note. And then you're like, Oh yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. It's and, and obviously it doesn't matter. I mean, they're fucking tasty notes. They're subjective and it, but it's, but I, I, I want people to walk away from my tastings being more confident in what they're trying and stuff like that. And then having the confidence to, to say it out loud and, to be and, and and even if it's completely like I, I'll never I'll never say that like you know you're wrong or anything like that. I did a tasting. I will. Um, but that's well, just I, know you I will. think it's funny. Oh, I did a <laughs> tasting of some rum a couple of weeks ago, and the guy gave me a really, really bizarre note. It was to the point where it caught me off guard. It was so out of left field, really? and so I didn't I didn't respond immediately with like the encouraging like yeah good like you know that's that's really interesting i like it like i had to process it it was so out of left field but then eventually i got got, now i got to know what it is i know and i can't remember um i really i really wish i could it was it was just so bizarre and i was like i was like i I was like yeah okay i i don't get that but i think that's really interesting that you do (laughs) you know um but you know, I, I again, I think that's where so much of this this ego driven business that we work in, and guys like this are able to to thrive because I mean, we we all do it to a certain extent, but it's like it's like fake it till you make it, you know. Well, and, yeah, and I, I think part of it also is, is you and I um, actively try to um, lift people up and give them more information. Whereas it's clear that Rudy was was just leeching off of an industry and not even just the industry, just people who were interested within the industry who had money to burn. Right. I mean, I mean, we're talking we're talking Bill Koch, right? Like from uh, of the Koch brothers, Koch brothers, Koch brothers. Sorry, Koch brothers. Easy, buddy. I I like Koch. That's funny. Uh, you know, so I don't necessarily feel bad that he was one of the guys that was ripped off, but we're talking, you know, 
for five five something million dollars that that this fool spent money on, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> like, he's a billionaire. I don't feel as bad. Mostly, I just think it's funny. Yeah. But it's not. It's not something that I agree with. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. I, I think there are a lot of people that. You know, if you're if you're not going to do the research and and again, a lot of that stuff ends up being ego thing. And even in this article, they they had mentioned it's like you if you're willing to open rare and expensive bottles, like you'll get invited to these functions. And if you can make this legit fake, then you're going to get invited to things. I mean, because what do you care? Like you just made it out of a, you know, you made a forty dollar blend, and you're telling people that it's worth millions, you know, or, yeah. or hundreds of thousands, yeah. and. You know, so of course, like, oh, this guy's open all this different stuff, and you know, you're 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 just playing into that ego and and everything like that. It's just, um, it's just hilarious. And then, of course, for the guy really to to obviously not to not feel like any of that matters, and he's just like, you better find me first class back to my country. You know, <laughs> it's just like, wow, what a different cat altogether. I gotta, I gotta tell you, as much as I dislike him, I kind of respect that. I 100% I mean, respect a, it. That's Absolutely. A, that's, a, that's a level, like you said, of uh, self um, uh, uh, um, confidence. Confidence, thank you. <laughs> Clearly, I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Okay. Now it's time for our sexy auction bottle of the week. Oops. Oh, yeah. All right. And now with our ah! newest, newest section, we take a relatively recently auctioned bottle and share it with our fellow co-hosts and they try to guess what that winning bid was this week chris is up he has picked out his auction bottle i drew get to guess what it went for chris what am i guessing today all right homie we have a bottle of old fitzgerald um 101 proof bottled in 1980 it is a 750 ml. Okay. Closed at auction this week. Um, and it was sent to auction from Italy. Oh, God. Okay. Um, it, and you, did it sell in the UK or did it sell here? It sold in the UK. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So, well, sold in, Gerald. sold in Europe. I don't know who bought it, but it was in Europe. Okay. The auction house um, is in here. So Old Fitzgerald is, you know, a whiskey that is very popular now. Beautiful bottle that it comes in. It's so rare that it comes out twice a year. So, you know, I love that. Um, I think those standard right now, most people are charging, what, 400 for the newest ones, typically. I, I so, think that's a little that's a little high. That's secondary market. Well, of course, but that's only, that's only in terms I speak in now. Um, <laughs> that's that's fair because <laughs> that's just that's what you that's pretty much all you ever see. So okay, so 
around there. This one's from 1980. And it was just like a standard release. Did, did they do any age statements on it back then? It was 10 years. Okay, it was 10 years. Okay, okay. All right. Hmm. Do you want me to do euros or American whatever you dollars? want? I have the conversion done this this week. <laughs> My man, I'm going with thirteen thousand euros. Thirteen thousand euros. My man, you have overshot it by quite a bit. Okay. okay, I am. I am very very surprised at how low this bottle closed out. To me, six thousand six thousand euros. This bottle closed out at 435 euros. Fuck off. Yeah. Blown away by it. Blown away by it. Well, I mean, I guess if you're... Which equates to $516.25 in today's dollars. I should have put more emphasis on the fact that it sold in the UK. And in the UK, they're not not as stoked on bourbon as we are over here. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Now it was an international sale, so it wasn't it wasn't relegated to citizens of the of of the European Union. Um, so anybody you know anybody could could jump on. You know, I I I signed up just to watch this auction because yeah. when I when I logged on and it had forty eight hours to go, it was at four hundred and thirty five euro. I was convinced that it was going to shoot up. Um, yeah. Uh, and both Yvonne and I um, watched watched this uh, for a few hours. I just left the auction site up on my computer while we did other work, and it didn't budge, and and we were blown away. And then when it closed out in the morning after, it just it was still exactly right there. Old Fitzgerald, you know, is like you mentioned, it's one of those highly sought after bottles. So we were we were both really shocked. And uh, that was it. And I don't know if it was just due to the auction site or the fact that maybe, maybe that's where old Fitzgerald from 1980 tops out. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess as if you think about it in terms of a 10 year old bourbon's a 10 year old bourbon, it's sure. that's it. It's done. I, I see. I, I don't buy into that. Uh, by any means you know we have we have wine that sits in a bottle and and changes in bottle and and grows and develops and and alters its form hard hard alcohol not to the same extent but definitely does so you know you you are never going to convince me otherwise yeah i i mean i mean you don't get you don't get to call it additional years but the fact but there is oxygen hitting it and it is changing and it is mellowing out or condensing or what doing whatever it does in the bottle um you you're not going to convince me that being in bottle it's not you know it's not sitting in a vacuum right so something yeah happens i mean to it. i mean maybe maybe the bourbon just hasn't gotten to that level yet whereas like something Similarly, whether it be like a Glenlivet from from 1980 that was a special bottling or something like that, like is there like do bourbon buyers have their limits? Like, are we talking to the to the point where you know 
you have a 23 year old bourbon that is going, you know, with Pappy that kind of tops out at like 2,500 bucks, right. That people are, mm-hmm. are pretty, that I've seen people buy them at pretty consistently. Yeah. And is, but that's never going to really change, you, you know? And I, and I don't know if it's, if it's just like methods or, or what, like why, why older scotches tend to perform better than, um, than an older bourbon was. And, and again, I guess I'm just basing this off of this one bottle. We should probably look into this more before I take all these, uh, <laughs> these leaps. Um, but again, I guess no, I, I am, I, I guess. I, I mean, I, I think that's a, a, a reasonable assumption to make. Um, and, and I'm willing to follow you down that, down that rabbit hole as well, uh, with the assertion that I'm, I'm willing to have the conversation with somebody else who might. Do you think it's okay. So, so I, I think about somebody's palate and their journey when it comes to whiskey and you have a lot of people who start with bourbon, right? That, I think that's, you know, it's, it's, it's sweeter. Um, it's pretty straightforward with the mash bill and everything like that. It's very enjoyable. And a lot of people kind of dig it. And I think as, as people grow and get, you know, into bigger, into bigger whiskeys, whether it's a cast strength bourbon, but then getting into, you know, high rise or, um, or, you know, more specifically getting into single malts. Do you think like the, like the collecting kind of goes the same way where you just start to value single malts more because like, you know, that there's just a little bit more, there's, there's more potential for diversity within that flavor profile on a single malt than there is on a bourbon. So if I'm, so if I'm looking at this old Fitzgerald from, from 1980, which is just kind of a cool bottle, but it's a 10 year bourbon. Like I'm pretty confident in what that flavor profile is going to be. You're, and, and I'll even give you that there's going to be some change through in that bottle, but for the most part, it's, it's going to be pretty straightforward. A 10-year bourbon is a 10-year bourbon. There's not a whole lot of complexity there. But with a single malt, they're even even at 10 or 12 years, like there tends to be a few more layers, at least in my opinion. And, and again, this, this is biased talking. But um, I wonder well, if I, that plays into the collector's mind as well, is that you kind of know what if – you, if you do plan on opening it, you're kind of like, well, I mean, I kind of know what this is going to taste like. It's just kind of cool that it's from 1980, you know? I think there's there's multiple layers to your run-on question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, um, uh, single malt is is a vintage, right? Like that's that's something that we have to we have to say up front, right? Like so, the it has to be from a single a single estate single distillation, single year, right? Like that's, that's what a single malt is. It is special because of its variability. I don't think that it has to to be, I don't think it has to be from like the single, the single just refers first and foremost to the distillery. It comes from one single distillery. Correct. But But I don't necessarily think that has come the same year. So like, for yeah, example, it, Kilhoman, it absolutely does. It has to, it, no, all well, has if, to, if, it all has to be harvested in the same year. I don't think you're right on this. Oh, buddy, you're shooting yourself in the foot right now. 
regardless, let me, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll let you look it up because I can hear you in the background looking it up. Uh, uh, that's sort of what makes that special versus a blended scotch, which could come from multiple years, multiple casks, right? And is blended for continuity's sake. That's sort of why the single malt in the 1980s and 1990s really started to take off as a, as a category. Uh, before that, it really, it really wasn't, which is something that we're still seeing to this day. We're still seeing these old distilleries that have been blending distilleries that have been building up their own categories, their own, their own stocks, their own, uh, their own catalogs of, of whiskey barrels that are starting to release them. You know, uh, that's one of the things that makes like, uh, like a distillery like Ben Riox so fascinating is because they were such, they were the, the breeding ground for so much ingenuity in terms of barrels, because they just, they pump so much of that into their blends. Um, and now they're just sitting on barrels and barrels of barrels that are peated, unpeated all over the place. And it's really fucking cool. Um, versus bourbon, which is made very specifically it has to be at least this much corn within its recipe has to be new oak. Like the definition of bourbon is, is based on continuity. So I, I think you're a little bit right when you're, when you're saying, you know, so, some people might find this, you know, might find the investment into single malt scotch a little bit more special. Versus, like you're saying, a 10-year-old old fits from this time. That's also sort of one of the things that makes Blanton's so special is that it's, it's you know, quote, unquote, the, the original single barrel bourbon, right? Is, is you're getting the differences from barrel to barrel to barrel because that's, that's what it is. So... You know, you get a good year, you get a good bottling from Blanton's, and it's going to be a little bit different from the one that you buy a year later if you're able to get your hands on it. Um, I think Old Fitzgerald is is sort of the same in that, but I don't imagine that they would change up their recipe too much in from 1980 until today. But that's almost 40 years and there's a lot that can happen biologically in terms of the crops that they're sourcing, right? And 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 how those are changing, whether what sort of pesticides they're using, what uh, how they're harvesting, if they had to change uh, sources for their harvesting, you know, all those sorts of things, and as well as the technology from 1980 till today in terms of producing that whiskey. I bet changes changes some things up a little bit, but I I agree that the Scotch has a, a higher uh, a higher variability than the bourbon does. Okay, so I need you to describe to me what you think a single malt whiskey is again. Single malt, single state, single year of harvest. And uh, um, single um, a from the same distillery, a single harvest. Can you expand yeah. upon that? Like a single years of harvest. You realize that most places don't like harvest their own barley, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me tell you what a single malt actually means now. Okay. <laughs> so it has to come from malted barley. There is no requirement on when that malted barley was, Distil- was taken. All distil- all, okay. All distilled within the same year, though. Um. Okay. Continue. Bear with me here. <laughs> Must be distilled using pot stills at a single distillery. Mm-hmm. Okay. And must be aged for at least three years in oak casts of a capacity not exceeding 700 liters. Yeah. Those are your requirements for scotch whiskey. Single malt scotch whiskey. All right. So the the thought that you have to do from the same year and stuff like that is that is not the case. Where did you find this? This is on Wikipedia, and I also know that in working with Kilhoman, Kilhoman does a lot of vatting of their sherry and bourbon barrels, and they are different ages when they are vatted together, and it is still considered a single malt whiskey because it That's comes not, from. It's not considered a vatted whiskey. No, it's a single malt whiskey. It comes from a single distillery. This hurts me. This hurts my soul. I thought that that was considered a vatted whiskey. <laughs> And that's the difference. And that's the difference between a single malt, a vatted whiskey, and a blended whiskey. Let's look. At- Someone's going to have to correct me, and I'm fine with that. I like being proven wrong about things. But you're not going to let it be I, me. Absolutely not. I'm not. I'm not going to take your word for this. I, and it's only because I uh, I love you and respect you and uh, and I don't want you to be right. So just so you know, Yo, vatted please. vatted malts uh-huh. is the same as blended malt Scotch whiskey. And the Scotch Whiskey Association, the reason that that you're confused about this is that it used to be referred to as vatted malts, and then they can they changed it to blended malt scotch. So you're taking two categories and treating them as separate categories when they are in fact the same category. <sighs> I'm very frustrated. I'm going to drink now. Yeah. I mean, you could say that a vetted malt is a blended whiskey without the grain whiskey component, but in terms of how it's recognized, it's still, I mean, look at Kilhoman. Kilhoman's a great example. That is a single malt whiskey. God damn it. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. I'm very, very this is This was one hell of a rabbit hole that we went down. This hurts my soul. And uh, I hope that there's other people with me and that uh, we can have a candlelight vigil. And, uh, you know, we will, we will come together. We will support well, I think one another. I think this just goes on to, to show you that you know, even, even the perceived experts on this podcast, like we're always learning stuff. And then there's also like, there's just so much stuff to know. And it's very easy to get these things mixed up and your wires crossed and and stuff like that, where it's just, I mean, you're, you're trying to keep your head above water and there's, there's a lot, man. There's a lot to to digest. I think you just I'm need to be. I'm also going to go out on a on a branch here and say on a branch on a limb on a, on a, is on that a limb. A, there we go. That, yeah, <laughs> limb is limb is definitely how you're supposed to say it. Now you're just now you're just you know. Uh, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, we we have a de- 
disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast at the top of our show and just you know we we are definitely self-proclaimed self-proclaimed for sure for sure um (laughs) boy that was one sexy bottle (laughs) (laughs) holy moly you know who's dope them over there okay now it's time for my favorite segment of the week and that is our dope follows of the week these follows can uh be instagram facebook documentaries books whatever the hell we just want people to experience cool shit chris who's your dope follow this week mine is shitty wine memes oh (laughs) Great pick. It Great is pick. on on the Instagram. That's right. I said the Instagram. It is literally spelled out. Shitty wine memes. All one word. No underscores. No spaces. Two T's in shitty. It is hilarious. You don't need to be a wine expert. Although it doesn't hurt if you have a working knowledge of wine. And it is simply just entertaining. Yeah, I I could not agree more. It's one of my favorite meme accounts, and they're so funny all the time. Yeah, it's pretty great. Like if you if you worked in in the industry, especially from a uh, from a customer service standpoint, uh, for any given amount of time, uh, a lot of these memes are gonna are definitely gonna uh, hit home for you. Totally. Yep. What are you doing? Great pick. Great pick. Um. So mine is on Instagram as well, and it's actually an artist, and the the account name is Four Shots in, in Saints. So that's F-O-R-E-S-H-O-T-S-A-N-D-S-A-I-N-T-S. So Four Shots and Saints. Um, she is really into art and whiskey, and... She has this really beautiful collection of um, different labels that she's done. And then she does different uh, sketches of distilleries from all over the world. And she does them like, you know, they're all in like black and white and they look really, really cool. And um, she also did the bottle design for one of our whiskeys, the Fucano 6000 with like this, with the astronaut oh, fuck yeah. on it. Yeah, that's I, a great it's, one. It's one of my favorite labels of all time. Actually, our good, good friend, Buddy Newby bought um, a print from her of it and gave it to me, which was like the coolest thing ever. Um, but, you know, as we're getting into the holidays and stuff like that, I know people are always looking for cool gifts and stuff. And eventually we, we will do uh that gift episode again where we tell you guys what to buy but this is a really great person to follow she's super fucking talented and her instagram account is a mix of whiskey that she's drinking and then different art pieces that she's working on and and again like this so let's say you're a really really big um uh, let's see, like our big fan or something like that. She has these pictures that or that she's done or Brooke Lottie. And it's just, it's a, it's just really cool. And they're, they're kind of minimalist to a certain degree, you know, like lack of color and stuff like that. And just, but they, they look, and that's, I'm probably totally describing that wrong. I probably don't know what that means <laughs> at all, but 
but I just I love her artwork and I definitely like if I had a nice office, I would have her artwork all over it. Just like really cool pictures of different um, distilleries and stuff like that because it, it, they just look great. So again, that's um, Four Shots and Saints on Instagram. She's super rad and way, way, way talented. So go follow them. Yeah. <laughs> the good bottle podcast is a production of fluid concepts our theme music is brought to us by the brothers more all episodes are research produced obviously by us two and you know you're welcome so before we go and kill these bottles that we have been drinking. Actually, mine's already dead. I'm, uh, I'm like one shot down on my wine. Uh, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please go subscribe and leave us a five star review because we're amazing. And you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook where you can see these great bottles that we've been drinking, as well as other fun stuff that we talk about in the podcast. Uh, at the good bottle podcast you can also support the podcast and my desire to own the Razorcast lego set from mandalorian by checking out anchor.fm slash good bottle podcast and if you would like us that's that was good that caught me off guard if you would like for us to cover a story or if you work with a brand that wants a, wants to be featured please email us at the good bottle podcast at gmail.com and i promise drew will eventually get back to you if I ever check it. And as a final reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank tonight on the episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers. Cheers. God, you're the worst. Oh, and yet you love me. <laughs>